let's rise again from our seats for our scripture reading today, which comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 32. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Good morning, KSPC. I know that a lot of you are introverts. Uh, are you doing okay during the greeting time? Is that okay? <laughs> it's like three minutes of time that you just close your eyes and wish could. <laughs> uh, I pray that you would really find one special person. Uh, God really created all of you very special and beautiful. Um, and to discover that is like discovering another universe. Uh, please try that out. And it will discover a lot of joy in greeting another person. Um, with that said, I looked at today's text and I was praying, God, please send a guest speaker. <laughs> Uh, God's word is not to be ashamed of, amen? Uh, the gospel is not to be ashamed of. And when we discover what God's word is today, I truly, truly know that it will be a blessing unto us, amen? Last week and this week are a mini two-part series. Um, last week was called the Diagnosis of the Fallen Mind, and this week is the Diagnosis of the Fallen Heart. We are going through Romans chapter 1 all the way to the end until this end of this year. And by concluding January, we're concluding Romans chapter 1 as well. Uh, we do not leave out any parts. We're going over every significant verse together. So last week we looked at uh, the depravity of a fallen mind. Uh, what is the problem of our mind is that we suppress the truth. Uh, we press down the truth because we don't uh, desire, we have the wrong desires. And so what is the cause of that suppressed truth? We look at it today as a fallen heart that has wrong passions and wrong affections. The heart desires something and the mind justifies what you desire. And on and on they engage in a building up of unrighteousness. Last week um, shows us, uh, and there's a few distinctions we made between last week and this week's sermon. Last week, it shows us our, what sin does to our vertical relationship with God. We are cut off from him. He gives us up to the depravity of our minds. While today also focuses on its impact on other people and horizontal relationships in society. Last week, we focused on the fallen mind. And today, we're focusing on the fallen heart. So let us dive in and once again emerge with with. Uh, treasure that is useful to our lives. Let's go to verse 26. For this reason, I'm just reading the first part of it to get us prepared for this. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
Uh, what reason are we talking about? It's the summary of last week. Uh, what is the reason that God gave us up to dishonorable passions? Because we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because we want to be God instead of being accountable to him. Remember the movie, Let's Be Cops, right? We want to play God instead of being accountable to him. And therefore, number three, we exchange the substance of God for the image of things in the world. So we are now legified people that are always ch chasing after something that is not God and saying, you are my God. We're looking for something to give us sustenance. So, the legified snap and play identity of our souls now is forever doomed to chase after something that will never satisfy them and captures our, but, but captures our desire and imagination. Anything magical, anything special, we make it our chief hobby, our chief joy, and the pleasure of our life. In today's passage, humans are taking something that is purely good which is sexuality, and they corrupt it according to their desires and their images by turning it into an idol. And so as Pastor John said, when idolatry happens is when something good turns into a god. You take one O out, a good becomes a god, that is idolatry. Remember, it was good. Here, the word dishonorable passions, look at, look at the slide. The slide says, pathe hotimias. That is a Greek word, which basically means uh, fallen or dis dishonorable passions. The word passion here uh, is the first word. It points to a lustful and depraved passion. That's pathé. Uh, that's where we get our word pathos from. And interestingly, this is where we get our word pathology from. Pathology is what? The study of the cause and effect of diseases. The cause and effect of diseases. And so that's why the sermon today is titled The Diagnosis of the Fallen Heart. There is a medical condition that our heart has, and today's Latin word, a uh, Greek word summarizes it, pathe hatimias. It is a depraved, fallen, and diseased heart that leads to the suppression of the truth in our minds. In other words, the diagnosis of the fallen heart says today that our hearts are diseased or plagued by dishonorable passions. We produce it over and over and over again. Let's go to the next part, verse 26 through 27 now. And this is the crux of uh, a lot of argumentations against homosexuality today, but let's really read it and discover what God's saying here. For the woman exchanged natural relationships. There's an exchange going on. Just as we exchange the substance for the image, they're ex exchanging now natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with this passion, pathe again, for one another, a disease for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty, cause and effect of their error. Now, this is the longest biblical prohibition. You can find about seven or eight prohibitions against homosexuality uh, exclu uh, uh, explicitly. And this is the longest one that we find in Scripture. And people whose vertical relationships, what it's saying here, vertical relationships with God have been twisted and severed. Now what they do is they twist their horizontal relationships with each other by what? By using each other for their pleasure. By using each other for my pleasure. One of that including homosexual sin. Now, many people try to dilute this verse, this prohibition, uh, by offering a lot of counter-arguments. And usually it's done by interpreting some of the passages in the following ways. Let's look at the slide. 
uh, what they say is, number one, people who are acting against their own nature, that is sinful. So people who have a homosexual nature or desire, they shouldn't deny their own nature. And they say love is love. And that's how they're saying, they're using the Bible to say, see, it's, good, it's not good to act against your nature. No, there is not a subjective nature. There's only an objective nature that God gives. And Paul is talking about an objective nature that is being violated in today's passage. Number two is, they look at all the other contexts of ancient Near Eastern practices, uh, pagan uh, idol worship or male prostitutes, or they look at uh, pedophilic relationships. And what they say is, all those adjectives are the wrong thing. The intention behind homosexuality is wrong in those contexts. So the abusive, the manipulative, the pedophilic, or the uh, economic sexual nature of ancient Near Eastern homosexual practices, that was what's wrong, not the homosexuality itself. And the response to that in correct Greek exegesis is that the intent of the homosexual act doesn't matter. What you think and feel while engaged in the homosexual act doesn't matter. In law, we have something called absolute liability, absolute liability. And what, basically what that is, is no matter what the intent is, what you are thinking, you are still liable if you do the action. For example, it doesn't matter if you lovingly failed to stop at a stoplight. It doesn't matter if you rushed through it, hating the world. It doesn't matter if you uh, were listening to Christian music and worshiping God while going through a stop sign. No matter what the intent is, if you get caught by the police officer, it is an absolute liability because the action itself is wrong. Now, please remember this concept of absolute liability because it will be important in building up the bricks of the full exegesis of today's word. And so please keep that concept in your mind. Let's go to verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up is a word that's used pretty often in the previous passage and today's as well. And basically, what, what, what does he give us up to? There are basically three things that, that are stated that God gave us up to. Uh, and what, number one is, the lust of their heart was last week. The lust of their heart Today, it says dishonorable passions, the, the pathe passions, right? And then also a debased mind. Three things that God is giving up us toward. And because God gave us up to do what we want, what happens is there are things that we started giving up amongst ourselves because God gave us up vertically. There is a horizontal giving up, giving up into what? It says we exchanged natural relationships. Women exchanged it. Men exchanged natural relationships for something else. Everything is given up. The natural order is forsaken. And all this is characterized as what ought to be done. The word ought is a fiery topic today. Because let me describe the world in one sentence today. Everyone is denying moral truth, but everyone is morally angry. Do you get that? Everyone denies objective moral reality. No one can make us accountable except myself. I am the arbiter of my life, but we hate how our neighbor lives. Right? What a paradox. We know that objective re reality exists uh, and objective morality exists, but we suppress that truth and say, according to my will, let it be done. But when someone slaps you, you call the cops. Right? 
Or when someone takes our wallet, we call the cops, assuming an objective morality, while saying that there is no objective morality. And the word here, ought, is a very dangerous word today because it implies a standard, and the standard is God. The moment we disagree with God's standard, the counterbalance, the problem is, is that we have to find another standard. Where does it come from, this other standard of morality? Usually it comes from my preferences or social utility. Whether it's useful for society or whether it's good for me. That is the standard and it does not hold a candle to God's objective good nature. Amen? Many people ask, let's just take a a rabbit hole. Many people ask, Pastor David, is homosexuality the worst sin? What do you think? Homosexuality falls under the umbrella of porneia, sexual immorality in general. So, everything that has a, that's missing the mark of a perfect covenant marriage between one man and one woman, joined by God to reflect the image of God by reflecting Christ and the church, that is a perfect model in this fallen world. And anything that doesn't meet that is called porneia, where we get the word pornography from. It is sexual immorality. And so, this is what happens in our church. There are a few people who've had homosexual inclinations in our church. And they know that our church is against it, but they come to me afterwards saying, Pastor David, there are so many young adults and men and women that are engaged in heterosexual sin. And I'm the only one being called out. That person is absolutely correct. All forms of sin that do not meet the mark of God's perfect design for sexuality to encounter the warmth and the intimacy of the Trinity, of the Trinitarian God, in perfect mutual self-giving, bound together by a promise to represent something that is greater than my desires and flesh, that is a perfect mark. And anyone who engages in some kind of sexuality other than that, we are all guilty of the same thing. So, homosexuality is not the greatest sin. It is one amongst many. But here's also another qualifier. Is homosexuality a special sin? Yes, it is. Because, not because of its ontological nature, not because of what it is, but because how it's being used. The social utility of homosexuality is putting forth lawlessness in our culture. And so, none of the other vices that we see in Christianity, murder or theft or slander or envy, all the things that we see here, none of that turned into a movement to say this is good. No one is starting a murder campaign saying murder is good, let's do it. But because sexuality is so powerful, so attractive, it is the one thing that society wrestles away from God and saying, this is mine, mine, I need this. And so it is a special sin because of what we're doing to it. It is the one thing that we will acknowledge is not sin. We are prideful of it. That is why the social utility of it makes it a specially focused upon sin, but it's not the greatest sin because everything, as we'll see later, is a symptom of a broken heart. If there's anyone who has homosexual inclinations amongst us today, do not worry, you are surrounded by fellow sinners. I cannot say that that's a good desire, but I also will not say that all of us are okay. We are all sinners saved by grace. Amen? You have found your community in that sense. We are all broken. And the nitpicking of that sexual sin can drive many people away from Jesus Christ 
that, who that person actually needs. And so please understand the brokenness of the people around you because you yourself are broken, which is the whole point of the next part of the passage. Now, homosexuality, as strongly as it is condemned here in verses 26 through 27, that is not the main point of today's text. Remember, the concept of absolute liability When it comes to the perfect standard required for salvation, you can only be saved if you are perfect. What does that require then? That every sin is an absolute liability. Do you believe that? One white lie will not let you go to heaven. One mistake will not let you go to heaven. Because, let's look at the slide. Righteousness requires three things, and this is so high of a standard that no one can meet it. Perfect intention. Like, when I'm washing the dishes, I can't be grumbling, why is my wife not doing her part? I can't do that. That is not perfect intention. I don't know why that came up. (laughs) The heart spills forth. (laughs) And vice versa, right? Perfect intentionality is required, but also perfect action. The dishes need to be really clean, or I failed. And also, perfect consequences. It must bless everyone. Has anyone ever lived like this? In the Old Testament, the Pharisees were saying, we didn't kill anyone, yay! We didn't steal, yay, we are now perfect. And Jesus says what? If you looked at a brother at hatred, you are committing murder. If you looked at a sister with lust, you are committing adultery. Perfect intention and perfect action with perfect outcome is the only way we'll go to heaven. And all of us fall short of that mark. Let's look at the next picture. Hamartia, sin, means to miss the mark. Nothing but the bullseye will save you. And I can't believe we're celebrating that we're being close enough. That is not the standard. The standard is the perfect mark of the image of God that Jesus Christ showed to us. He alone is perfect. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. I can't wait to get to Romans chapter 2 and 3. We all fall short of the glory of God no matter how hard we try. What are the examples of Harmartia missing that perfect point? Verse 29, all the way to 31. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And I keep on saying, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Every one of them is me. They were filled. This is a concept of overflowing. You can't contain it anymore, what is coming from the heart. Jesus says, it's not what you eat, it's not what you drink that goes inside you and defiles you. He says what comes out is a symptom of the heart. Out of the riches of their treasure, people bring forth treasure. Out of the riches of your heart, whatever it is, whether it's evil or good, it spills out of your mouth into a desire. All of us are guilty. Of what? It says all manner of unrighteousness. We will go over tulip and total depravity over all the course of Romans, uh, but it's not for today. But 
what it's saying here is all manner of unrighteousness comes from our heart. There is no way that we can be saved. Paul is saying that homosexuality is not the problem. What is the problem here? We are dead. Total depravity. We are not just diseased. What is the diagnosis? The actual diagnosis of the fallen heart is that we are dead. We don't need whey protein to make ourselves stronger and treat religion as more protein for your soul. What we need is regeneration. Amen? Amen. What we need is not a band-aid. We need resurrection. We're not here for advice. We're here to be saved. It's the purpose of our worship, to encounter a savior, not a helper, not a technician. A brother this morning uh, sent a sermon. I, I hastily changed my own sermon because he sent me the title of it, Lazarus Escapes. Isn't that weird? Lazarus died. How does he escape from a grave? Because he's dead. His body's decomposing. His hands and feet are bound in linen. And so, the grave is sealed by a stone. How does he escape? He can't. Jesus has to call him out in power and life and regeneration. And that is the only hope for us today. We are not struggling with homosexual sin. We are not struggling with evil, covetous, malice, envy, murder, all these things. That is not the issue. We are dead. And these are the signs of decomposition in our society and our lives. We cannot escape because a dead man does not walk. We have to grab onto Jesus, but Vodi Bakum says what? Dead men don't grab. But here's the thing, the beauty of this. Dead men cannot let go. If God has grabbed your soul from the pit, and if Jesus has saved you from all eternity of separation from him, he will not let go. And if he does not let go, you are, despite your best efforts to run away from him, you are saved if you believe in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit lives in you. Amen? Yeah. That is the hope that we have. It's not overcoming a list of all these things. I, I told you that testimony very often, right? I fought with a friend, at, at uh, one of my roommates at college. And then I was so angry with myself, I wrote down a list of all my faults, and it filled five A4 pages front and back. And so I, I took that, I ran to my pastor's house in the rain, very dramatic, I was a little more emo, I guess. And I ran to my pastor, and he says, David, how long will it take to overcome this one sin in your life? And I'm like, I don't know, it's going to take forever. And he says, multiply that front and back, four A4 pages, five A4 pages, how will you overcome this? And I'm like, I don't know. And he said, for once and for all, I can solve this. All you need to do is die to yourself and let Jesus live in you. Die to yourself and let Jesus live in you. Nothing can redeem a dead soul apart from the external sovereign grace of God, which he has extended already. Amen? Which he's already extended in his son, Jesus Christ. Homosexuality is simply one of the many problems that are listed here. What makes it worse is that these sins are non-comprehensive. These are examples, merely symptoms of a broken relationship with God. So he wants, Paul wants us to look at our gay neighbors and say, not these people are sinners, 
unlike me. Let's look at the next slide. This is what Paul wants to change. These people are sinners amongst who I am the worst. Is what Paul is getting at right now. Do you get the progression of, his, of this? Like, why is he starting from homosexuality, but he's ending up in all these household daily sins that we know forever torment our heart? Because Paul's saying, all of us are dead. We are the worst of sinners. Let's go to 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief or the foremost first. In Korean, it basically means itung. I am the champion in the Olympics of sin. I've got the gold medal, is what Paul is saying. Without acknowledging that, you will never love a fellow sinner no matter what it looks like. And so at our church, what does it look like? Let's say someone has a homosexual instinct or inclination. And they have a, let's put it this way. Let's say someone's hand is rotting. And they cover it with a glove. But because hands are very visible, people are curious what's under the glove and say, take it off. They show you a rotting hand. And everyone's like, oh, look at that hand. It's rotting. But all of them know that their feet are rotting. They just have one sock and one more layer of of a shoe on top of it. And the only difference is it's a little less visible what they do in secret at their home. But it's the same problem. Decay in the body only showing up in different places in the body. If there's anything rotting in your body, there's a bigger issue. Paul is saying that we all need holistic salvation, something to completely save us from every ounce and molecule of sin in the universe. Do you not desire that? Like, if I were not Christian... I would hate myself. (laughs) I hate myself so much, actually, on the days that I am not reminded of the gospel. And guess what? Sanctification involves, sanctification involves it only growing worse. As closer you go to the sun, the shadows are more highlighted. The shadows become darker. The closer you get to Christ, you will only see more sin and fallenness in you. What do you do? You devour the gospel more. Amen. That is what we need to do. Verse 32 is a concluding verse. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. And you might say, that's too harsh, Pastor David. Greed leading to death? I'm sorry. If your heart is always already failing, greed is just a symptom. You're dying anyway. You're dying anyway. They not only do them, but also give approval to those who practice them. All these sins in our absolute liability, they deserve death, but we say it's okay. KCPC is not a church where it says sin is okay. God loves you as you are, amen? But he will not leave you as you are. He will sanctify you. He will fight out the sin in your heart until the day we die. Praise God, amen? He will do that, but we are not okay with sin. We are not okay. The church today and Christians today are all about finding. They'll look at today's sermon on YouTube and they'll say, let's see where this church stands on the issue of homosexuality. And they'll create a fault line, right, between approving versus non-approving churches and pastors. And then they take their side 
or the other side, as if our stance on homosexuality alone determines whether it's a good church and whether it's saved. No. The heart is the issue. Homosexuality is but one of many symptoms. Now, some churches stand on the side of failing to teach correctly that all sin, including homosexual sin, will kill you. And they give a thumbs up and give approval to those who practice it in today's word. Other churches self-righteously single out homosexual sin while forgetting that all other sins that torment us from the inside out are present in their own hearts. The point that must be emphasized over and over again is that everyone with a fallen heart and a depraved mind All of us need a transplant surgery of our brain and our heart before we try to fix other people. Amen. Why can I look at a fellow brother who I know is committing a grievous sin? Why can I have mercy on that person? Because I'm worse. And the only way to love that person is to love myself as well. Like, if God had mercy on me, brother, you're okay. God will fix you from the inside out. That's the attitude that we need in our church. Let's look at this slide. This is really important. Uh, What is wrong with society today versus what the gospel shows? Let's look at this slide. Is there another one? I know I uploaded this one a little late. Okay. This is where a lot of people get it wrong. The world says what? First, change the system. Society and it's racism, and it's bigotry, and it's hatred, and it's malice. That needs to be changed through legislation, regulation, more control. And once we change society, then suddenly people will become better. Sanctification happens. We will get better by trying hard and hard and hard. And then, salvation. We will be worthy enough to be saved. Paradise will happen. That is the order of all religion. And we are not a religion. Amen? The gospel says what? Be saved by Jesus Christ. The vertical relationship with him comes first. If he restores you, he is such a good savior that he will give you a new mind and a new heart that changes you from the inside out. And through those revitalized agents called the church, community slowly starts healing until our king comes back. And our king will make society perfect again. That is a reverse upside-down kingdom of God and the gospel, is that it starts with one person. A lot of us look at the world and say, how do we end this war? How do we fix famine? Like, look at the economy. We try to change that. God's solution is, you have a heart that is bleeding out with dishonorable passions. No wonder if you are more powerful, the world will grow more corrupt. But God says, I will change you from the inside out. I'll give you a new heart and a new mind. And then you will hate sin. You will love holiness. You'll have mercy upon your neighbor. And then church will be beautiful and society will be blessed by the church that is filled with agents that have a new mind and a new heart. Where do we get that? This is the same conclusion as last week. That's why it's a two-part sermon. Let's look at the next verse, or the next slide, with Ezekiel 36, 26, and Romans 12, 2. 
Jesus promises, I'll give you a renewed heart. I'll give you a new heart, a new soul, a new spirit that actually loves to do God's will. Loves to, not is forced to. Loves to. And there will be a renewed, transformed heart. And once we have that, slowly from the inside out, the rot and the decay will disappear with that sanctification. And then KCPC will be beautiful. It will be a home and a healing center for all broken people. I truly invite you, if you are fighting with sexual sin in your life, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, meet Jesus Christ. Why do we sing that song? Come and behold him, the one and the only. Why do we sing that? Because looking at your sin and your problem will not fix anything. The image, looking at the image, creates a maze. And you will be lost in your desires. But the image, looking to the substance, God and his holiness and his relational beauty and his qualities, that restores you, fills you from the inside out. So, how do you fight your sin? How do you fight your sexual sin? How do you fight your brokenness and your broken heart? Behold Jesus is the only solution because we are what we worship. We are what we look at every day. The more we gaze upon him, that is what we are transformed into. So brothers and sisters, here is our solution. Look to Jesus Christ and all variety of sin and all variety of unrighteousness will be dissolved like snow in his face. Amen. How to respond? I want to make this useful. Let's look at the following, the last slide. There are four responses. Celebrate how real and accurate the Christian diagnosis is. Only Christianity, with this dual emphasis on the fallenness of man and the perfection of God, explains beauty and horror and evil at the same time. Like, why do I see war, and if that's just the natural world, why do I see that as ugly? Why is there a higher standard? Because God has created a standard. Only God's word has a standard that really shows why we go through all this moral anger while refusing a moral standard. Christianity is alone accurate. Repent from the sin that keeps you away from a holy God. It costs the life of Jesus. Amen? Whenever you need to repent of sin, don't do it to make yourself better. That is not the purpose. People only want to find a better version of themselves in heaven. That is not it. To be closer to the one that I love and the one who loves me is the impulse to fight and repent. Amen? Imagine if, if, you're, if you had COVID and you were separate from your, if, from your wife. Why fight against COVID? Because I want to be together with my wife. It's a relationship. Number three. Repeat after me, actually. This is really, 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 really important because Korean-American Christians have pretty honor-shame culture built into them. And so repeat after me. Have mercy upon those who show symptoms of brokenness because that is me. In all forms, that is me. Have mercy Stop complaining to me that your CG fellow member is weird. Stop saying that. <laughs> That's you. You just have one more layer of a sock and a shoe on. That's all. It's less visible. 
have mercy. Because God had mercy on you. And the last one, trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which alone can save you. Which alone can save you. Don't fix the regulations of our society. There's too much. Can't keep up. Don't fix the system. Don't say if we change the leader, everything will be better. No, how naive are you? We must be saved. We must be regenerated. Our hearts must be flipped inside out. We must learn to taste and desire holiness. And that is what God promises. True salvation. Starting from me. Praise and come up. What a good God we have, amen? What a good God. This was not meant to be a hammer strike on all types of sin. This was meant to be a celebration of what God has done for all sinners in all forms that we would have true salvation and the only solution to the world's issues right now. It's the gospel. I pray that you would hunger and thirst for it more and more every day. Amen.